Stop slicing those Nikes. It's time for The Plunge, your weekly deep dive into the politics and pop culture of our crumbling world. An anonymous White House ghoul wrote a thing for the New York Times op-ed section, triggering what can only be described as the liberal QAnon. Barack Obama returned to Illinois to tell young people to vote instead of complain, and his favorite technocrat, Elon Musk, attempted to smoke a blunt on camera to impress the comedian and DMT enthusiast podcaster, Joe Rogan. Is this the early makings of the second coming of the Choom Gang? Only time will tell. In the Pop Culture Corner, we propose story pitches for the upcoming new series, Law and Order Hate Crimes. Also, we try to make sense of the discourse surrounding the term post-comedy and celebrate the return of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Sam's audio gets inexplicably weird and distorted towards the end of the show, but it sounds funny, so I'm leaving it in. Anyway, let's plunge. Number 35, welcome, we, uh, you know, Sam, we have to have some advertising, and I'd like to base our model after the Fox News model. Every fucking commercial is for a, like, dying person's product. It is, uh, like, uh, those buttons you press that, you know, when you fall down the stairs, and it's, like, the saddest, like, most... Like, like bleak commercial. Uh, have you noticed this uh, ever watching Fox News? If you have, yeah, I'd say like sixty percent of the shit on Fox News that you see ads for is stuff that's like, here's a way to get Medicaid to pay for your uh, this you know elective surgery of yours. It's all like how to grift, I guess, Medicaid for like these health products that appeal, like you said, mostly to, like seniors. And definitely ads for like silver, a oh, lot of yeah. uh, investing gold metals. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, that that shit is out there big time. I mean, what else do you see ads for? I guess uh, last will and testament attorneys. <laughs> definitely local attorneys. Oh, I saw a ton of pro Brett Kavanaugh ads, which is just so uh, bizarre because. Why would they need to run ads for people who aren't making the decision? I guess, like, in some indirect way, conceivably, people would call their congressmen or something to say, I really support Brett Kavanaugh. I'm, did you see that GOP image that was like, I'm a pro-law judge, a quote by Brett Kavanaugh? And I was like, well, yeah, I mean... <laughs> Come on, of course. He's he's not applying for like any other job. He's applying for like a, a job as a judge. He should believe in the law. I'm an anti-law judge. Yeah. I just uh, There's anarchist lawyers up in here. Yeah. Just anti any sort of legal proceedings, but I preside over them. And why don't we move into this claim from Trump this week that he has some rather salacious photographs? Yeah. 
the Daily Caller got to go to the Oval Office to talk to our large adult president. And the, the it's unhinged, but definitely one of the best parts is when he claims that he has hundred like over a hundred pictures of Robert Mueller, the special investigator, and James Comey, the former head of the FBI, hugging and kissing. This seems to be a rather unhinged statement. Uh, I can't imagine that Trump has hmm. hundreds of photos of Mueller and Comey to be hugging fair. and kissing. <laughs> and, of course, you know that it means that they were hugging and kissing each other. But it's funny. He says, I could give you a hundred pictures of him. As if it's not so much that like he has them, but he definitely... He's like, anyone could find these pictures. <laughs> like, you could just find this on the street. I'm sure everybody's got pictures of them hugging and kissing, lying around. They're just doing it so often that it's inevitable that they've been photographed doing it at this up to this point. He definitely thinks Barack Obama is a trans prostitute. <laughs> That's true. One of the things I love about this also is that it's on the Daily Callers website. And if you click on, if you go on their website and you have like an ad blocker on your browser, then you have to specific, if you want to view it for free, you have to specifically click like, I refuse to support the Daily Caller. <laughs> <laughs> Which is fine. I think that's an absolute statement that I'm okay with. Daily Caller, important to note, obviously founded by Tucker Carlson. And they had one of their columnists, I forgot his name, but he was outed this week as a white supremacist who wrote under a pseudonym, I believe, on the Daily Stormer. Wow. You mean there's a writer on a right-wing website who's a literal nazi <laughs> i'm so surprised by this i mean there's dan there's just such a wide gap between something like the daily caller and what stormfront or one of these other shitty like neo-nazi websites they're just so categorically different like how could you ever get them mixed up i for one am glad for the conscious conservative who has been given a platform in the premier publication in the world, the New York Times op-ed section, home to Barry Weiss saying Louis C.K. should be able to masturbate wherever he wants, and David Brooks saying that the virtue of knowing that your friend might not know all the deli meats is to go to a different restaurant. But the op-ed section had a thing that just endlessly is being talked about still, this anonymous op-ed from within the Trump administration. Yeah, this is really atrocious. It's, I mean, my theory about this, which is unpopular and probably untrue, is that the New York Times editorial board wrote this shit. Like, it's such a like fantasy to me. It's like the most the the most fantastic idea that like there's this Trump resistor within the White House who just even though you differ with him ideologically, even though he's like a Republican or whatever, he has America's best interests and its true values at heart. And I think that's truly heinous. And this this also goes a long way to like arguing that like the this resistor within the Trump administration is like not ideologically, I guess, aligned. But if you read through this thing, it's all about just the free market and shit like that. <laughs> yeah, he he or she 
whoever wrote it claimed that much of the policy under the Trump administration has been an enormous success to make America better and safer, including like enhancing our military, which no one's done that before. <laughs> yeah, I guess like we totally needed Trump to revamp the military. Um but he he goes on to say like Trump's impulses are anti-trade, anti-democratic. Um, as although he does admit that, like he said, there are bright spots, including effective like deregulation of the economy, historic tax reform, a more robust military. It's like okay, so yeah, he's giving you all the Republican shit that you want. Like the only thing you find annoying is that he wants to get into like a weird trade war with China. This is the only issue you have with him. Yeah, and that he's like a syphilitic, like, you know, demented mind who is rude and hideous. So obviously no one wants to be associated with him because he's just generally foul. But the fact that you are aiding him in whatever his goals in the White House are, like... There is no good Trump administration official, and the idea that there is some like patriotic, uh, above party lines, conservative person who gives a fuck about anything but filling their coffers, that is just absolutely absurd. Yeah, I like to think of like just the lone ICE agent who's like... Oh, he's looking at like a cage with like four children in there and he's just like I don't like that. I'm going to write an op-ed. My theory is that it's someone like Steve Mnuchin who is trying to soften his image and prepare to re-enter the world of finance and business after leaving the administration. Yeah, I think everyone in the White House is trying to find a way to spin this for their resume in some fucking way. Also probably trying to avoid jail time like some of the other people. Also, it's definitely not Pence. That's like the dumbest theory that everyone's running with. I, I can't I can't believe that just because it said that word lodestar <laughs> that that it seems like a pretty easy if that's like a, a something identified with Pence that anyone could use that to like throw off or whatever, you know, imply that it was Pence. It has revealed that the left is looking for, or not the left, I guess like liberals are looking for their own version of like Q. I think someone said that as if like liberals need like a QAnon theory. So this kind of like fills that. Absolutely. I, I see many parallels to the right-wing QAnon obsession and the response to this article, which honestly, there were zero revelations in it. There was nothing said to truly denounce Trump other than sort of saying he doesn't have like good intentions, but his policies are good and I'm going to keep enacting that agenda in the Bob Woodward book, I think one of the uh, Trump officials interviewed said he was like shuffling papers so as to obscure certain information from Trump's immediate focus. And 
Mad Dog Mattis essentially saying that he was told by Trump to kill Assad and he had to basically just <laughs> de-escalate that sort of wait until he <laughs> forgot about it. Yeah. But I, there is no redemption for these people or there shouldn't be in like a, a fair world. Yeah, I think the smart takeaway from this is that it's a, an attempt to ingratiate someone's attempt to ingratiate themselves with like liberal or like centrist uh f- you know coalitions that be and avoid the i guess the stain of Donald Trump while retaining the actual policies that he admittedly enjoys like t- you know deregulation of the economy uh tax reform and increased military spending so I don't see anything positive coming out of this. We are stupider for even it happening. Yeah, I mean, the whole game of like trying to guess who it is, trying to guess which is the Repu- you know reasonable Republican, it really is analogous to the Q thing because it's this search for like the adult in the room. So the, the idea that like there's got to be someone driving this thing when I think the harsh reality we're all having to come to terms with is that there's nobody in charge of this thing and it's hurtling towards a disaster. Well, President, or should I say former President Obama gave a speech oh but before we go into that why don't you say the jake flores take the joke that he had was that everyone in the trump white house right now is doing the coat hanger blood test from the thing pretty funny when you think about it as like kellyanne conway like (laughs) exploding into like just like goo (laughs) yeah i mean it is kind of like uh the thing situation in the trump white house right now because they all keep getting picked off by i mean the thing it really is like just the law and like you know the courts catching up to them and shit but it is funny to see who like lives and who dies in the trump white house like who's still there who has staying power and who like really bit the dust early on you're telling me Mitch McConnell doesn't kind of have, like, the sort of face that would, like, morph, like, the thing <laughs> monster? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Mitch McConnell goes down, and, uh, of course, like, Chuck Schumer or some, like, liberal moron would get up and start, like, putting the defibrillators on him. And then, like, Mitch McConnell's <laughs> chest just bursts open and engulfs him. <laughs> yeah. So, Obama. Sam... Let's play a clip or two, and I feel like to a lot of liberal people, and I guess people who are just like pretty depressed about Donald Trump in the state of things right now. Understandable. This did give them a lot of hope, but uh, I think to some of us, it kind of felt, I don't know, like patronizing or- Yeah. They're undermining our alliances, cozying up to Russia. What happened to the Republican Party? We're supposed to stand up to discrimination. And we're sure as heck supposed to stand up clearly and unequivocally to Nazi sympathizers. How hard can that be, saying that Nazis are bad? And by the time I left office, household income was near its all-time high. 
and the uninsured rate had hit an all-time low, and wages were rising, and poverty rates were falling. Uh, I mention all this just so when you hear how great the economy is doing right now, let's just remember uh, when this recovery started. The biggest threat to our democracy is indifference. The biggest threat to our democracy is cynicism. Do not complain. Don't hashtag. Don't get anxious. Don't retreat. Don't binge on whatever it is you're binging on. Don't lose yourself in ironic detachment. Don't put your head in the sand. Don't boo. Vote. Vote. All right, so what do you make of some of the things Barrio had to say? For context, this is a speech he gave at the University of Illinois, which is, you know, his home turf and college kids. He's definitely the still probably the most popular president with millennials or, like, whatever generations below us, the, like, you know, space children or fucking whatever, the Trump kids. But they... I, he, he's kind of like using this like cool professor uh, tone to, to he's definitely talking down a little bit in this, which kind of like informs a little bit of what I got out of it, which was mostly just Obama's overwhelming political naivete. <laughs> yeah. And you pointed out that he literally uh, the he said the cliche about like, you know, Lincoln was a republican he did yeah it's like this is this is like written by a college freshman at university of illinois i mean he has the lincoln cliche or just like the pod save america host. oh yeah for sure this has so much pod save america and they were all like jizzing themselves over this speech because everyone's like oh obama's back baby but he literally talks about how like you know, Democrats used to defend slavery, but uh, Abraham Lincoln, he ended slavery and he was uh, a Republican. So he's in like Dinesh D'Souza territory there. I mean, at least in um, in like literal sense, not in like in tone or intent. But he also spouts out some other cliches. He claims that from the wreckage of World War II, the U.S., and like NATO built a post-war web architecture system of alliances, institutions to underwrite freedom and like resist Soviet totalitarianism. It's just at the end of the day, it's still like this kind of like Francis Fukuyama end of history, like center right bullshit that Obama enshrined and defended his whole career. Uh, it's not like the second coming of Christ here. And again, he's basically since leaving office, gone parasailing with Richard Branson and accepted a lucrative Netflix deal where he's going to make some shitty spy show and some fucking thing where he cooks tortillas with people (laughs) across America. Like, it's going to be so stupid. And to, I mean, I guess to a degree it is important that he did come out for a single payer simply because it does further normalize it in the democratic party to a degree that i don't think that has perhaps uh happened yet for a lot of people who right. are sort of in the obama sphere 
people made the obvious observation that like okay remember how you had two years with like a democratic supermajority in congress <laughs> you'd been elected in like this with this like b- broad mandate and uh all of a sudden you just and he just fell through like you caved on on health uh, you gave open came up with obamacare which is like this hacky version of uh health reform and as opposed to just overhauling it which is what needs to happen i mean he really kind of like he had the chance to do this i think it's just like the gay marriage issue though when he was running i even think didn't obama say he wasn't sure about yes. gay marriage he wouldn't do anything that wasn't like dead center as far as what democrats were concerned so like anything like even just you know ending like the militarism in the middle east all those things like he kind of caved on because he was adhering to this like mythical center that is just like an opinion nobody holds nobody's like socially liberal on these things but also wants like war in the middle east i i just don't think this demographic exists or if it does exist it's kind of the washington elite sort of right yeah it's like coastal people or whatever i will also say though that he would never have come out for single payer had it not been for bernie and uh obviously all the other democrats who have come out for it at this point like gillibrand and yeah others so he doesn't deserve too much credit but it is a certainly a sign of a positive shift i think and he also over the weekend recalled a time when he was escorted out of Disneyland. I was booted from the Magic Kingdom. He was thrown off after smoking on a ride, and he said, no, no, these were cigarettes, people. <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. Because apparently the audience was, like, cheering because the idea of Obama smoking weed is apparently, you know, cool to a certain demographic. There, you also showed me that really cursed, like, Mike Huckabee joke about uh, Obama... The re- Gang. <laughs> yeah, Obama reforming the Choom Gang with... Who was it? With Elon Musk. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Okay, so, but, like, as far as, like, going back to Obama giving that University of Illinois speech and being absurdly patronizing, he also was out there, like, blaming millennials for not voting. Uh, He's blaming, like, Trump on that. He's like, you know, and, like, the, or he's blaming, like, shitty Congress on that. He's like, you know, the midterm elections, uh, a lot of you, one, only one in five people voted and, like, shit like that. Just, I don't know. I feel like there's, it's kind of pointless for that, like, vote shaming these days. It's like, you guys give us really shitty people to vote for. That's why people don't come out. I mean, I, a lot of people rightly assume that due to gerrymandering and the paucity of, like, viable candidates or really just good people in government these days, that your vote doesn't, in the grand scheme of things, matter more than saying one person gets to hold office versus another. Although I, I do think it's important to vote. I don't think it's, like, useful to harangue college kids all day about this like (laughs) i agree a hundred percent and i wonder how much obama will follow the norms of the ex-president in the future as trump's brain turns further into uh mayonnaise what will Obama 
Like, what, when will he actually say something of substance post-presidency? Well, not to beat this to death, but in terms of his being patronizing or, you know, naive again, he brought up the example of George Washington, who, instead of choosing to become king and tyrant of the newly formed United States of America, uh, became just a two-term president. Um, and I think there are a lot of reasons for that, but we've kind of mythologized it as like he he just knew that it was time to give up the mantle. And that's I think in the U.S. people have a big dick about the fact that we always have like peaceful succession of power for the most part, aside for you know certain examples like the Civil War. But either way, um, it's a big source of like this national pride. And even he, Obama, invoked that. He said like, "I'm trying to be like George Washington, and uh, after my two terms, I'm gonna just gonna hang out with Richard Bronson." But I think he's trying to set up this thing where he's gonna come back into politics more abruptly than people are used to and if that's going to be a force for good then i'm all for it but i think now that we're in the aftermath of obama's legacy i I, we need to expect more from this guy he's not just a net benefit all the time i don't think well sam another guy also didn't like the speech and his name was president orange orangutan Donald Trump. Yes. He said... (laughs) This is the best take on his speech. I'm sorry. I watched it, Trump claimed at an event in North Dakota on Friday. But he fell asleep. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny, too, because the whole time we've been talking about how Obama's dumbing down shit in the speech because he thinks it's for, like, stoned college kids. But (laughs) even that, like, goes just way over Trump's head and Trump's, like, unconscious. (laughs) It's too heady for Trump. Abraham, what? (laughs) I mean, I do think that's a savage own, though. Uh, I used to think, I mean, we all thought, like, Obama was the funniest president because he, like, tries to make fun jokes at, like, the White House Correspondence Center and, like, He's a little more self-aware than, I guess, previous presidents have been. But, I mean, come on. There's no comparison. Trump, even though it's unintentional, Trump is fucking, a, he's a fucking riot. He's hilarious. Obama does have a good delivery, I will say. Oh, yeah. He's got, like, chops. But I think also now that I'm, we're all mad at him for creating the conditions that have made Trump the way he is, I think uh, <laughs> I think he's a li- his charm has like worn off on me a little bit. I might not be as impartial as I'd like. Sam, one of Trump's greatest fans, is the right-wing agitator and social media personality, Jack Posobiec. And Nathan Barnard, who does excellent work on his site, Barnard Media, or Bernard, not Barnard. He has a new report about Bumble Jack, as he has been called, because people found him on Bumble cheating on uh, or attempting to cheat on his wife. (laughs) Keyword attempting. (laughs) So Bumble Jack is now living and working at Shake Shack. Hell yeah. This is just a feel-good story. Yeah, not not that there's anything wrong with this when it happens to, if, if someone else is doing this to make ends meet, but for these kinds of, like, 
you know, conservatives who believe that like completely an individual responsibility and bootstraps and bullshit. I think they should all have to do shit like this. And it's good when it happens to them because these are, they're all from backgrounds where it doesn't normally happen to them. So they can have these kinds of viewpoints where they look down at people who work and sleep at Shake Shack. But yeah, a bunch of his coworkers said that, uh, He's been seen around. It's apparently a Shake Shack here in D.C. I don't know which one it is. I think there's like there's like a dozen in every like any place that there's like a gentrified downtown in this area. There's a Shake Shack. So it would be impossible to track him down. And I'm not going to try to shame him at work or anything, but it makes you feel good for sure. Yeah, and the funniest part is that on his live stream, he pretends he's just hanging out there. He's like, hey, check it out. I'm hanging at Shake Shack this morning. Burgers of the patriarchy. <laughs> burgers of the patriarchy. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, this is, just, this is just exactly what you deserve if you're one of these fucking trolls. I mean, this is what you signed up for, basically. So enjoy this hellish world in which that you are all on board for. He's probably happy that, like, Shake Shack is putting a roof over his head or something. Yeah, I wonder if he's checked the basement as uh, he was a huge proponent of the Pizzagate theory. <laughs> it's pizza, though, not burgers. You got to think sometimes, Dan. It's still fast food. Anyway, <laughs> the really finest story of the last few days has been just the incredible clip nonstop. I've been seeing it online and even on cable news is Elon Musk smoking, but not inhaling a blunt with Joe Rogan. Sam, why was this so fucking funny? This is just the stupidest. I mean, let's play the clip so you can hear the circumstance. I bought it when I was in Mexico because I figured it would be a, a good size to hold joints. Or not. So is that a joint? It's or is it a cigar? Yeah, it's no. Okay. It's um, marijuana it's, it's inside weird. of uh, tobacco. Okay, so it's like posh pot tobacco yeah. posh. You never had that? Yeah, I think I tried one once. Come on, man. You, <laughs> you probably can't because stockholders, right? I mean, it's legal, right? It's totally legal. Okay. How does that work? Do people get upset at you if you do certain things? There's uh, tobacco and marijuana in there. That's all it is. The, the combination of tobacco and marijuana is wonderful. First turned on to it by Charlie Murphy and then reignited by Dave Chappelle. There you go. Plus whiskey. Haha, <laughs> exactly. Perfect. Balances it out. Hey, I, and also, I'm going to come out right here and say I, I kind of like Joe Rogan. I think he's, what's the word? Uh, kind of like naive about. Ignorant. Yeah, ignorant. Yeah. <laughs> but the, I think, worst thing he does is he will have on basically whoever and will let them go unchallenged, basically. It's almost like he is open-minded to the point where it is actually a bad thing. You're always going to be selective about what you're open-minded to, even if you're claiming to be open-minded to everything, because there's only certain people that show up on these kinds of programs. Well, to be fair, he he has had on Abby Martin. He had on Matt Taibbi recently. So he's not anti 
people left of center. It's just the amount of like intellectual dark web. And yeah. I mean, people we talk about on this show appear on Rogan all the time. For example, Jordan Peterson, of course, and his daughter right. was even on a few weeks ago. The all meat diet <laughs> <We've covered>. proponent. <laughs> she was on there like on a fear factor crossover where just like we, you have to like live a day in her life where you only eat meat and uh, I don't know how your bowels shut down and you, you get scurvy. But either way, um, this thing with Elon Musk like smoking a blunt is so pathetic. He doesn't even like you said, he doesn't even really inhale it. Like he blows out the whole thing. He claim he just he's so naive, almost like to the point that Joe Rogan seems less naive than he is. Joe Rogan's like explained to him he's, and uh, Elon's like are you is this legal at all? And Joe Rogan's like it's completely legal, sure. And that's like good enough for Elon Musk somehow. He decides that even though he like you said, has shareholders, and even though he also like, I guess he's a government contractor. Not to mention, you're not really allowed to. Weeks ago, he's crying in the to the New York Times about how he is working all the time, and I, I mean, we're made to feel sorry for this man by the media, and yet he is. I mean, he doesn't seem to really have judgment. Yeah, I, I even those not skeptical of his judgment are pretty skeptical now, I think. No, definitely. And I think it like there's a lot of shitty things about this. I mean, a lot of people have mentioned that Tesla and a bunch of his other companies drug test and you have to have a med card if you have like marijuana in your system. Yeah, so this is nothing new and if you drug test at every CEO in America, Come on, like <laughs> it would. Uh, I think a lot of them would piss positive. Yeah, for sure. It makes him look like a kind of a joke, even though there's nothing wrong with smoking weed on like the Joe Rogan show. This is just you. It goes to show. It highlights how he like has tried to be. I guess what what's the word he's like trying to be a celebrity like a pop culture celebrity as well as being like a business celebrity and like a business magnate or a business magnet as he said on twitter recently like apropos of nothing but uh it goes to show that he can't do that because like you can all of the comments on these videos are like his fans saying it's cool that Joe Rogan smokes weed, which is f or not. Sorry, that Elon Musk smokes weed, which is fine. I think there's nothing like as I've said, there's nothing wrong with Elon Musk smoking weed. But like the government that he works with, the U.S. government is not going to look kindly on that. It is still like a federal, you know, federal crime to smoke weed, basically, uh, or to have it. I, I don't know. It just it highlights that you can't actually be these two things at once. You can't be like a government contractor as well as like a public celebrity. It doesn't gel. And I mean, they could have smoked like before the cameras on. <laughs> <laughs> I know Joe Rogan might be like this epic level troll getting him to like, I mean, Elon Musk has taken a serious hit from this, you know, shares have tumbled, uh, all that stock market shit has gone bad for Tesla and his companies. So there's part of that. I want to say that I think the take that stop pot shaming Elon Musk 
is so stupid and like you have such better things to argue online yeah nobody's out here like make i'm not angry at him for smoking weed as i've said like multiple times i just think it's funny that he thinks he can get away with this as if he like doesn't know what his job is or like what what his responsibilities are or how people in like the business community frequently view like being you know callous or not, well not just being overly carefree with like weed is and obviously we said before i will read it now the mike huckabee tweet the famous jokester President Obama uses Illinois speech to announce he's reforming his Choom gang and welcomes Elon Musk as new member. <laughs> and it just has that photo of Elon like, hmm, that's some tasty stuff. <laughs> it's, the picture's so funny. The smoke sort of looks like it's coming out of his head. <laughs> like, even though we didn't see him inhale and he might not have like gotten high from it. It's still, he looks, he just looks so high. And I don't know. It also is funny because there's been so much speculation about his drug habits, given that like Azalea Banks claimed that he was like on acid or something when she was hanging out at his house. And that he had pork skin. (laughs) I think we're about as pro weed as like people could be. And Still, this made me think weed is so lame. Like it looked like the the state of the world <laughs> with like weed being legal is just like that thumbnail, that image. That's definitely gonna be the fucking thumbnail for this podcast of Elon oh Musk. Like the world of legal weed is certainly more. Uh, I, th- I think this definitely reflects like it, it is a thing for yeah for like rich white people, honestly. Dude, yeah, that, I mean, this is maybe a good time to bring up, like, something, like, oh, I don't know what it is, like, the past five years, the whole country decided, like, weed is, like, okay all of a sudden, or, like, I don't know, mass popular culture decided that. Now, like, on Snapchat, all the ads I see are for, like, in how to invest in marijuana on your phone and stuff. It's, like, it's, like, Bitcoin or something. <laughs> yes, and I just hope for the next month we see this clip of elon surrounded by smoke and like shooting a flamethrower with joe rogan i mean it it is bizarre that he didn't i i was expecting him to like really chief the blunt and like you know take a hearty rip because like how else do you explain his like weird kind of like stoned business sense of like well we're gonna go to space and uh i'm also gonna make flamethrowers uh electric cars man like uh all of his ideas sound very you know part of the pun but half baked the hyperloop man i i read that they discussed the film reign of fire which is about like fighting dragons Yo, that movie is atrocious. That's some classic, like, early aughts atrocious filmmaking. All right, speaking of atrocious filmmaking, it's the pop culture corner. And let's start with this one. Law & Order, new series coming out called Law & Order Hate Crimes. Sam, why don't you describe what you think the first episode will be? I mean, we did have a window into this with their, like, atrocious handling of, like, campus activism. I, I don't know. It's always going to be it's gonna be something with some awful, like, double standard where, I don't know, like, uh, 
a, is an Israeli man murders a like Palestinian woman, but the twist is that uh, the Palestinian woman was anti-Semitic. <laughs> I don't know. It's gonna be really or bad. that like his father was killed by a Palestinian man in Israel. <gasps> Wow. So then it's justified is what you're saying. And then Antifa comes and he yeah. and then the guy saves him against the greater enemy. I'm thinking about one where it's three Native Americans and the whole time you think that someone's going to commit a hate crime against them. But then they commit a hate crime against like some not even a racist hate crime. They commit like a hate crime against like uh a Muslim person or something like a, a more like a religious motivated one or like a sexual orientation motivated one. I mean, as tasteless as we're being, I don't think we can touch how tasteless this law and order. show is going to be law and order reverse racism. <laughs> yeah. There's definitely going to be one where like a black guy kills a white person. And then they're like, how is this not a hate crime? And like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh God, it's going to be atrocious. And is every episode going to end with a cop getting off for shooting a black person? <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean, a fact of life. I mean, e- even as like, wasn't George Zimmerman in the news again recently? <laughs> he was not even a cop, but. Right. Neighborhood watch bullshit or whatever. But apparently, yes, he's threatened Beyonce and Jay-Z apparently. So <laughs> great to see old George still free and. Uh, you know out there yes uh, i mean everyone knows that it's very important to defend uh george zimmerman's freedom of speech but either way um this law and order show i mean it can't be more tasteless than real life but it like law and order it will try to be worse than real life (laughs) yeah and the fact that they're going to treat hate crimes they're treating it like pulp fiction or something. Like it's like this juicy print or something. Yes. I think there's just no way it'll be done in a way that's uh, nuanced, let's say. <laughs> yeah. There, there's no way it's going to be tasteful. Um, but I, I don't know. Either way. The the only thing that it could make it worse is if it was uh, a post-comedy Okay, this post-comedy debate has really lit the uh, internet and the comedy discourse uh, up in the last few days. Yeah, this writer, Jesse David Fox, I actually generally kind of like his work. Uh, he has a good podcast called Good One, if you're ever just into like some comedian breaking down one joke for like an hour. It's pretty good. But the... I guess contention of this article is this idea that we've reached a level in culture where comedy isn't enough anymore and that that's why we're seeing this era of not funny comedy shows. I think the best example of what he's trying to argue is transparent, right? I think that's like an example of a show that's you never laugh watching that show. Yeah. But I I guess my, my feelings in this article were that I just don't think you can apply this sort of analytical lens to comedy as a whole because it's obviously just like 
the comedy you're watching. Like, I don't, you know what I mean? It's it's a little like, how can you really say that like this is the only thing when it is kind of like niche stuff more or less? Yeah, everything he mentions in this is aggressively niche. I think there's kind of like a spectrum of the stuff that this trend touches. I think the worst end of it is like the Nanette or the Drew Michael stand-up special where it's like we're cracking down like what you think stand-up is all about. With like Drew Michael, there's no audience. It's just like a monologue that I I haven't seen, but people have been saying it has like some just basic kind of like vaguely sexist dating humor or something that's like a little confessional and personal at times. I don't know. And Nanette, which we previously discussed, was this kind of like TED Talk masquerading as a comedy special. So that's definitely like the worst end of it. Do you agree? Yes. These sort of didactic projects that try to essentially over-explain comedy to people. And that sort of over-analysis of the process of like, oh, you see, that's a callback. That's, uh, you know, anything that takes the form as like too big a part of it, almost, if the form of comedy is more important than like the if that's like your primary material or if that's what's the most interesting thing about what you're, I don't know. It's, it's not like classical music. It's, you know, comedy is not about the tech, even though the technique can be dazzling and impressive and add to the comedy itself. I think the most important part of comedy, like I could be wrong. You're the comedian here, but is like getting that gut laugh. Like if it's funny, it's funny. Like there's, it's not this, it's not this thing that you can like discern through like any kind of uh, abstract or like academic terms. Like there, there's some kind of raw element to it that has to be there in order for it to be funny. I think so. And to be fair, I'm not a comedian. I just work with comedians and and comedy material. But I do think that, uh, and it's not that I agree with the Jerry Seinfeld sort of like don't be emotional at all and just pursue comedy as if you are solely going for the laugh every you know every word i don't really subscribe to that but but i do think that there is a and i mean we're we're talking not just about stand up i guess but this applies also to 30 minute shows that say they're comedies but don't have a ton of laughs yeah do you want to unpack some of those examples? I think Atlanta is a great one. It's not. Yeah. I mean, you'll go full episodes without it being very funny. I think Atlanta is an interesting example because Atlanta, like from what I think, um, from what Donald Glover has said in interviews, he said it's kind of a Trojan horse show where it's ostensibly a funny a funny comedy about like these three guys and their misadventures in Atlanta and he you know intentionally uses motifs like when they hang out on the couch that's out in front of the lawn in front of their apartment or whatever um as like a kind of way of tying it all together and making it funny and making it recognizable as like a sitcom but as you've said it it does get frequently very dark in Atlanta it does get very like uh ominous or like serious and dramatic 
Uh, although I do think at the end of the day, Atlanta is very funny. And I don't know if I would primarily describe it as like a dramatic show. So I think it's like uh, that example definitely made me think. But I think it's also a specifically weird example because Donald Glover in the past has said, like, there's no way people would have allowed me to make this show and have it like have this wide of viewership or be on like a major channel if they kind of knew what I was intending. I kind of had to like slip it in in this like secretive way. Other examples that are invoked in the article are Barry on HBO and BoJack Horseman, which I would argue, while I love both of those shows and I think they're so funny and, you know, they get at certainly uh, the depressing conditions of modern life very well i don't think that they are that unique that that sort of a story hasn't been told before i don't think that you know sitcoms being a little bleak and serious sometimes is that new am i wrong i mean no i definitely think that bojack horseman is like turns the bleak factor into like making it outright depressing as far as the show goes although there are moments of like levity and lightness and obviously i think like at the end of the day is this kind of like bizarrely whimsical show i think that it's also very depressing a lot of the time whereas barry i think is more like even though there are depressing elements it's more just dramatic it's sort of like a noir almost like a neo-noir or like a crime kind of uh mixed with comedic elements um and I don't know. I, I do think that both of those are kind of more, I don't know. Barry feels a little, a little bit more dramatic to me than like a full on comedy. Whereas Bojack Horseman, I feel like is like just a very depressing comedy. And it also goes, it, it kind of accurately captures this fact that we've all accepted that comedians are all like depressed. Yeah. That's become a big trope. I think that that is like very played out since Louis C.K.'s TV show. For sure. And which also was mentioned in this article. Right. And I would say that I think that this article gets at some decent kernels, but where it really loses me is in its discussion of The Daily Show. Yeah, this is something that was kind of I, I, where I thought he was reaching very far is uh, this calling back to the trope that, you know, people got their news more so from like Jon Stewart than the mainstream media or whatever during the mid 2000s. And that I guess that Jon Stewart, he, he is, quote, uh, after Stewart's. Famously went on Crossfire, he left the show as America's bullshit caller-in-chief. And I guess what I see when I watch that clip now is Stuart basically just being a dick to people who really do pretty similar work to what he was doing, except, like, he had a more funny monologue. But ultimately, like, the... The idea that Stewart uh, embraced that uh, I'm just a comedian, you know, it's this is just you know this is just a comedy show, and it shouldn't be considered more than that. But I I think that he hedged so much on that. 
Yeah. It's interesting to juxtapose that with this sort of reverence and this post-comedy idea. Yeah, I think that it kind of plays this weird myth about Jon Stewart, which is that he was like, I mean, the way that um, the writer put it was that he said, gone were the days of Jon Stewart, the man with curiously a lot of material about smoking cigarettes, and in their place, a modern-day Walter Cronkite, which is like... It, it, there's this myth that he transitioned from like this kind of you know basic like cool funny stand-up comedian who was in like half baked and shit like that to becoming like America's journalist and I don't know what it says about us that like this myth has such staying power. I don't think that he had like this sweeping I don't think you can measure this like in, in sweeping importance that he had aside from a few like g- good moments on his show. I feel like it's a real reach. Um, but it, it, it kind of informs, like, he kind of juxtaposes it, like you said, over, like, this idea of, like, Nanette abandoning comedy, like, the comedian leaving behind the slapstick and, like, the jokes to instead do, like, a TED Talk in her case. So I, I don't know why this is becoming so appealing or has kind of, like, morphed into this, like, post-comedy idea. He also mentions Dave Chappelle in this light, like t- giving up comedy because of, he didn't like the way that I guess like white people were interpreting his uh, stereotypes or his send up of stereotypes. Yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't really get how that applies here because Chappelle. Me either. <laughs> he just quit comedy. He just quit being a public figure for a while, and then he came back to do comedy. I think that we've said all that needs to be said about this. I think that it reflects the way we have elevated modern comedy to this point where we need to analyze it like Shakespeare and imbue it with all of these, I I, I don't know. It's like, it's a fucking like lit theory class or something like I don't I don't think you need terms like post comedy and then he you know in the piece he was getting roasted for comparing it's like post rock music and yeah I don't I, I just think this is all unnecessary I just fucking re- review the TV shows and keep making fucking lists of the best episodes of Seinfeld I don't know whatever they do yeah for like $120,000 a year or whatever you get paid but um no, I mean, at the end of the day, I do agree with you. I don't think it's point useful to analyze it. I do think it might be, maybe I'm being way too critical here, but a meta-analysis of, like, the phenomenon of people looking for this phenomenon, you know what I mean? Like, and why is everyone deciding to talk about post-comedy? Why is this something that, like, we want out there? Why do people, like, need to find, like, truth in their comedy or something more than just like getting a laugh by and having what other whatever other elements in there are useful to combine with the laughter like i don't understand why that's such like a, a uh, such a fucking difficult concept it's like it's comedy with other elements in there it doesn't need to be like this you know f- i guess zeitgeist phenomenon well i think we've had it hammered into us that good comedy does more than just make you laugh over the last 10 years or so yeah that is something that's like becoming uh i don't know harder and harder to like defend weirdly yeah and that's why someone like john mulaney or you know someone who kind of doesn't really try to say anything like powerful and it's just about jokes that's why his comedy specials are 
generally better than most others. Yeah. Um, no, I just th- thought Jake Flores had a good take in like a later vulture article that was in like the post comedy series saying that a joke's supposed to give you a gut laugh. It's not supposed to make you clap and think good for that person, or at least it's not only supposed to do that. Yeah. And we've talked about the clapter phenomenon before, and it's not going away, especially during the age of resistance comedy. Yeah, I think that's why I had such a, like a negative reaction to the article at first was that it was kind of like uh, I don't know feeding the beast and like playing to this like theory that you just described. Anyway, we are going to talk about the return of one of the greatest shows in comedy, the I think longest running sitcom on TV right now, maybe other than I guess Curb. The return of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. The episode was called Make Patty's, or The Gang Makes Patty's Great Again. Yes. And it featured Mindy Kaling, a sex doll of Dennis. (laughs) And what a great way to make Dennis an essential part of the episode, but also make up for his absence because he was shooting a different show yeah that's true and the i mean spoiler alert but he pops in at the end at replacing his sex doll in a legitimately like terrifying twist but yeah you get to see the hold that dennis has over the over the crew even though he's like not in the room uh of course the sex doll originates with mac who as everyone notes is he bought the sex doll so he could have sex with the sex doll like that's not up for debate I love how they treated it just like the Mac is gay revelation. They were just like, Mac's gay, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. They were like, Mac's fucking this doll, right? And he's like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, everyone, as soon as they see the doll, realizes what it's for. But uh, either way, the the main plot of this is that like Mindy Kaling's character is playing. She's playing this person named Cindy, and they're currently like at the beginning of the episode grifting liberals, like they're uh, selling like conservative wine, spelled like you know whining or complaining. Yes, with a W H. Yeah, and then they she convinces them to transition out of that and start trying to like attract conservatives to the bar and like go after another bar through all these schemes and machinations. But as usual in the, in this show, like the, the gang's own like antics and specifically the, the Dennis sex doll keeps getting in the way of this entire endeavor. It's amazing how central the sex doll is to this plot and also just like the sheer like effect that Dennis has on all of the characters. <laughs> I think it's become like a, a theme of the show that Dennis just brings out everyone's insecurities and stuff. He's obviously the leader in some sense. Like he's like the sort of like psychic leader because clearly he like engenders these thoughts like even this uncanny version of him of the sex doll which does look a lot like him it's very creepy (laughs) uh just brings out the worst in everybody yeah i mean uh he's always just 
letting loose his own like sociopath. I feel like it's also caught up with him over the last, like especially in the recent seasons. Uh, he's starting to become like tortured by his own psyche, and I think we kind of see that in his like uh, his character is supposedly fled to North Dakota. Yeah, it was a great way to write him out, and I guess now he's uh returned as we find out at the end of this episode and mindy kaling's character is immediately ignored in favor of dennis so right because as i said they all he has this like bizarre hold on the group and even though i guess ostensibly we're supposed to believe that mindy kaling led them to some kind of success with their kind of like political bar scheming i love how like they just sort of irreverently like reject the political for just the kind of same stuff they've always done in a way the same kind of generally reactionary but like at the end of the day just absurd antics of the gang i kind of loved that making uh, the gang makes patty's great again was really just like it like dennis comes back like that's really (laughs) what made patty's great again it's just them doing the same thing over again, which honestly kind of is a good, uh, I guess, conception of how Make America Great Again is supposed to be. For It's just do the same bad stuff we've done over again, and that will make America great again. And they like basically applied that logic in the way they rejected a newer person for just what they were previously doing. And obviously the Mac weight loss wasn't fat mac a couple of years ago and then he'd kind of just gotten to this like pretty normal body size and now he's like ripped it was the oddest (laughs) like sight gag on the show uh i also like the gag of the sort of like larger than life gag of how he lost all this weight and like got ripped as you said and in real life the actor rob McAllen, did it and he commented on it very candidly joking about how you know all you need to do to lose weight is like run three miles every day not eat anything after 7 p.m have a studio pay for it over a six to seven month period uh he joked about it being like a very i guess uh realistic lifestyle for average people and uh he was very candid about it but you gotta wonder why he did this for the character because even in the show they're like why did mac lose all this weight and get jacked and he's always trying to like put himself in bizarre like homoerotic ads where like (laughs) i I don't know dan he's like having like drinks poured on his body it's almost as if in the same way that rob mckelleny is like injecting this into the show just purely because he wanted to like mac is trying to have his new body be incorporated into like the gang's plan in the episode right that was just so enjoyable and him and like the duster (laughs) that's been like that was a nice callback (laughs) no and i mean it's always sunny has remained so solid in its old age uh it's, you know, I mean, it, it, people bring up the fact that it has been ignored by the Emmys for its whole run. Which is strange for a show that is seriously beloved. And honestly, I think critics like it, too. The oh, you you saw even the New Yorker you, you shared liked it. 
Yeah, I d- they had an article about it in the context of post-comedy, which we discussed earlier. And I thought it was funny how even the New Yorker kind of agreed that, like, even though It's Always Sunny is, even though I guess it brings up some political topics or some kind of more serious topics in a tangential way it's really comedy for comedy's sake despite whatever people are saying about post comedy and it remains so consistent and to this day is so strong that even like an episode that hints at the political like this one does it doesn't ever really let it kind of derail the sort of like nihilistic like atavistic jokes that they as a crew do the like sadism the socio sociopathy whatever you want to say like the way they kind of interact and the core of the show is so like untouched yeah and it's unfortunate i think that whatever like emmy voters see the show i I think it's ignored for this sort of high critical praise because at least in terms of it's like getting awards during its uh, what is season uh, 11 or 12 at this point yeah, or the thirteen, I... no thirteen, right? I think it's thirteen because the advertising is Sunny the Thirteenth. I think it's the thirteenth. So I think that these critics sometimes see the show as extremely sophomoric, almost like in the same vein as a show like Workaholics. But I don't know. I think it's almost a little smarter than a lot of shows like that, and I think we can see a sort of ideology in the show especially from this quote that glenn howerton had in a gq interview a couple months ago where he said when asked about his character's toxic masculinity and the kinds of characters that glenn howerton plays he said it's not quite toxic masculinity i would say when it comes to dennis there's a certain degree of toxic masculinity but i think it's more you know what i think it is the characters are an interesting parallel to what i think is wrong in society in general which is it's the most extreme version of someone who is out only for themselves in a weird way here we are in a free market economy in a democracy you're given permission to get whatever you can get as long as you're acting within the confines of the law you're encouraged to hey if i can go make a billion dollars go make a billion dollars and that's great in theory but i do think it lends itself to a mindset like yeah i stepped on a couple of heads on the way but i didn't break any fucking laws so fuck you fuck you and that doesn't build communities it doesn't lead to happiness and yet we still celebrate it. We celebrate money and we celebrate people with massive egos. I need to satirize that because it makes me so fucking angry. I want to satirize that because I want you to see what you think makes you happy fail. Dennis is Donald Trump having failed. Donald Trump is Donald Trump having succeeded. You think that guy's fucking happy though? That guy's fucking miserable and yet the people who actually buy into the Trump brand, they aspire to, to that. They're like, yeah, man, see, he's the perfect example of the American dream, right? And yeah, he is. But those of us who know that doesn't make you happy, look up and go, oh, fuck, we need to reexamine what the definition of the American dream is. Because that guy sucks, but he was taught the same fucking things we are. In a way, you almost can't blame him. He happens to be the most grotesque version of it. I was a long quote, but I think it uh I think it really illustrates what the creators of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia 
how they sort of place their very amoral characters and what you know how they think it, it falls into this framework yeah i mean in general also i think a so part of the appeal of the show to me is that the even the actors like in quotes like that you can see like they're just very i don't know intelligent and like in a way relatable and this seems like maybe because because like that kind of like emmy success has eluded them they're still like pretty down to earth and it makes the show a lot more enjoyable because it doesn't take itself too seriously it knows what it's about but it still manages to be like pretty smart and yeah i'll definitely be watching this season and anything in the last words on sunny no i mean it's definitely worth watching the newest season it avoids all the cliches of like older or aging shows for the most part i think and uh some of my favorite moments have been in the recent seasons i mean the recent episode about the suburbs of like one or two seasons back is easily one of my top shows uh it's such a funny episode i would agree with that episode and also the water park episode is another recent one that is a testament to how good that show still is oh yeah and then also I'm like biased because I fucking hate the idea of a water park. I've never been to one and it just sounds completely disgusting to me. I have no idea why anyone would pay to go to one of those. Yeah, I, I've done it when I was younger, but nowadays I don't, <laughs> I don't see the appeal. What was your favorite part? What was your favorite part of the water park? Come on. I enjoyed the fucking lazy river. <laughs> explain that to me and the listeners all right so you sit in a tube and you go around a circular you know a circular river that goes around the park and you just chill and float and it goes in a circle what else do you fucking need <laughs> i guess that's that's fair enough as long as you didn't uh you know release any fluids into the pool then i can't hold that against you <laughs> anyway it's story time and i wanted to tell a quick story and talk a little bit about this because i think it's just an interesting topic i've never really done any research on it but sam have you ever had sleep paralysis no i've never i've never really had much in the way of like sleep related issues i sleep well and uh despite my you know hideous nature inside and i feel not at all at any like place to complain about how i feel in that way which is unusual i think you're lucky because having s sleep issues sometimes myself just general insomnia and that sort of stuff, I guess. I man, it's it's can be one of the worst fucking problems to just disrupt your daily schedule. I definitely went through. I went through a brief like uh, period of not being able to sleep. There was like a three or four day stretch where I just either slept for like a wink or like an hour or something, or just not at all every night. I had to go to work every day. I was still working as a cook back then, and I was—I felt miserable. I felt like I was going to die. Yeah, they taught us at college orientation that not sleeping for even a night it is basically neur uh, neurologically or physiology physiologically or something. You are drunk. 
like it's the same effects. Yeah, I didn't feel like I could focus on anything. I felt like a very kind of uh, disoriented, and especially in like a job where there's knives and stuff going around, it's it wasn't a good mix. So this is a time when I was in high school, and I remember falling asleep after school one day. So it was, I would say, between like 3 and 6 p.m. at some point. And in high school, we had to get up so fucking early, and I'm sure like this is kind of the universal experience, but you really, at that age, get fucked up from lack of sleep because you have to wake up so early. Yeah, I definitely feel you on that. I feel like in high school, I was just, in general, sleep-deprived. So any loss of like the scant hours of sleep that I had was fucking catastrophic. I... After school, one day was catching up on a little sleep, taking a nap. That little afternoon nap can sometimes really help in the middle of the week. So I I guess the sensation of it was like almost like you're waking up, but like you're not actually waking up. It's almost like your eyes are open and you're kind of awake but like your body is completely non-responsive because like i guess your body is still asleep and i i remember this just terrifying sensation almost like it almost felt like i was looking up in like uh a deep pool of water like it was an extremely uncomfortable claustrophobic almost like almost like out of body experience but obviously the opposite because like it's almost like you're too much in your body and i remember just trying to like you know force my like shoulders or like try to like get something to like wake myself up and this is around the time i guess when I don't know. I didn't really know anything about this sensation, so I don't know. I was like, "Am I di- am I dying? Is this like am I a ghost?" And uh, no, the answer is no. And eventually, I kind of like, you know, it was still like a very dark sort of like uh, misty, sort of unclear state, but I sort of eventually just like woke up for real and i remember the sensation honestly was very close to like drowning were you really happy to be able to move as soon as you were able to definitely definitely it was uh it was you know you realize what a gift the senses are just like doing jumping jacks (laughs) damn yeah i've never had anything like that i'm amazed you survived but Either way, um, I don't know. I guess you were you felt trapped in your body, like it's the reverse of like an out of body experience. You're aware that there's like some f- lack of physical sensation, but it's not because you're like floating above or doing any cool, you know, astral projection. You're like you're locked in there. Yeah, exactly. It was almost like extremely mundane. You know, some people describe, like, an out-of-body experience like it's, like, this serene sort of, like, this was more like, oh, man, I'm, like, trapped in a, like, cage, you know? It was it was very, like, 
slow, almost like my body is a cage. <laughs> yeah, I was giving you a little arcade fire. Um, uh. Damn. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe someday I'll have sleep paralysis just to you know try it out and see how you how I feel about it. You know, it might. Maybe I'll enjoy it as opposed to your uh, experience. Maybe you can do one of those Joe Rogan sensory deprivation tanks. Yeah, I'll try not to shit myself like he does of every time, apparently, though. That was a tweet that someone posted that they worked in a sensory deprivation tank place and Rogan apparently shit in the tank. I'm glad someone's putting their masters in sensory deprivation tank design and business management to good use, though. <laughs> like that's someone's job. I think that's the plunge for this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll end it with that kind of like a uh, vaguely metaphysical sort of uh, ending. I've got so many socks to cut my Nike logo out of. <laughs> Yeah, Dan's really offended about the Colin Kaepernick thing. Just like running around with a shirt that's like you cut the Nike symbol out of it so your left <laughs> nipple is like exposed <laughs> to the elements. <laughs> Fucking gross. I like so many people are doing that. They're like cutting it out of like every conceivable piece of clothes. I'm like, can't you just buy another shirt? Jesus Christ. Like, <laughs> what are you doing this for? You're going to run around in like holy shirts. Socks falling down all day. How uncomfortable, how how much more uncomfortable is that than just like allowing Nike to have an ad with a fucking guy you vaguely disagree with on something that your brain has been rotted to think about by Fox News and to protest the kneeling. I've been standing since the Kaepernick announcement at Nike. I've just been standing the whole entire time. You better stand at half mast for John McCain, though. I mean, he's we're still in mourning. I think the funeral's still going on. It's been weeks, but yes, I haven't had sex with my wife since John McCain passed. It's going to be very hard for me to be aroused in the future. That's a shame, but I think you'll survive. You'll pull through, and we'll leave John McCain to his fate which is hopefully being like uh in a twilight zone style like ending where he's like forced to deal with his like vietnamese captors throughout eternity hey and if you're in new york vote in the primary on thursday it's on thursday for some reason cynthia nixon vote for her she's she's good she's good yeah no relation to richard luckily Apparently so. Cuomo sent out these like mailers suggesting Cynthia is an anti-Semite because she supports the divesting uh, BDS moment uh, movement. <laughs> yeah, that's a classic. I mean, she's she's all over that. Be that's a fucking or uh, people. Everyone, as soon as you like declare any solidarity with like palestine that's just like 
the first salvo is like launch the you know anti-semitism accusation any manner of like solidarity for palestine is can only be interpreted as just utter hatred for the jewish people and that'll do it goodbye